0: What moment in your life changed you forever? Was it a first kiss? A touchdown? Maybe it was the day you got married? Or a simple act of kindness? History has been defined by many moments. Some were filled with devastation, some with regret, and others with courage and love and compassion. One by one, they have brought us to this time, this moment. Food for the Hungry has been serving the hopeless by meeting physical and spiritual needs for over 40 years. We are committed to working in the hardest places of the world. Today, we work in more than 20 countries throughout Asia, Africa, Latin America and the Caribbean to help communities become self-sustainable and self-sufficient. Through people like you, Food for the Hungry helps more than 2.5 million people gain access to sustainable sources of clean water, food, education, skills training, and more. And now is your time, your moment, to be a part of a movement. Come and help us feed the hungry, drill a well, build a school, by sponsoring a child or running a race. Together, we can end extreme poverty. Here at FH... We have many moments to look back on. Let's create one now, together.
1: Well, if you've been here the last few weeks, you have heard me telling you that today marks the the beginning of a new relationship for us. We are officially launching a partnership with this incredible organization, Food for the Hungry, Uh, in South America, just outside of a city called Sucre, Bolivia. We're going to be working in this impoverished community called Alegria for the next 10 years uh, in hopes to see God do something powerful, um, something that only He can do. This past summer, I I had a chance to travel to Alegria and to see the needs in this community firsthand. And I wish I could tell you about all of them. I can't because we don't have enough time, but but I do want to share a few with you. So that you can understand why our church has taken this step and and why we're partnering there. Uh, In Alegria, I found this interesting. The average life expectancy in this community is only 55 years old. The chronic malnutrition rate in children is over 40%. Um, This community is full of single mothers for whatever reason. Uh, Most of these mothers work. Which means they have to leave their children at home all day by themselves, no matter how young the children might be. I mean, we were walking through the community one morning, and there were two little kids, couldn't have been more than two years old, literally walking down the street by themselves, unsupervised. You see it all over the place. Uh, In Alegria, the people believe in generational poverty. That because everyone before them was poor, they're going to be poor. Mom and dad were poor. Grandparents were poor. Great-grandparents were were poor. So that means I'm going to be be poor. But but the greatest need that we saw there was obviously the spiritual need. This is a village in which people desperately need the hope of Jesus Christ. So, So not only are these people living in physical poverty each day, they're living in spiritual poverty each day. And our goal in working there is simple. We want to help these people dream about life again. We want to help them believe that the God of the universe created them in his image for a great purpose. And we want to help them believe that truth and walk out the purpose for which they're on the earth. We want to help them believe that their lives matter, that their lives can count, that they don't always have to live the same lives that they've always lived. And, and so by focusing on Jesus centered community transformation, the goal is to walk away from Alegria after 10 years of investment. And, and our goal is again to see these people move from survival to stability to sustainability, both in a physical and spiritual sense. Now, the way that we're starting our partnership with Food for the Hungry today is this: you might have noticed when you walked in, uh, a table outside with a bunch of child sponsorship packets sitting on. Them. Uh, this morning we started with a hundred. I'm not quite sure exactly where we are now, but but we started with a hundred. And my prayer has been that our church would sponsor. All 100 kids that, that are represented in these packets. Here's what's cool. All 100 of these children that we have the opportunity to sponsor, they all live in Alegria, the community that we're going to be working in. For 35 bucks a month, you can literally change a child's life. You can make sure for that amount of money that they get clean water, they get healthy food, they get education, and most importantly, that $35 ensures that they get to hear uh, about Jesus week after week from the Food for the Hungry staff uh, running the operation and working with these children on the ground. And so I, I want to challenge us throughout the course of, of this morning as we're here together to be praying about what step God might have you take before you leave today. I'll tell you how to take that step in a, in a little while after uh, we dig into the Scriptures. But here's the icing on the cake. You sponsor a kid today, you can take a trip with us to Bolivia in the future and actually meet and spend time with your sponsored child. You can go with us and see firsthand the difference $35 makes in the life of a kid like, like Santiago. This is the little boy that, that my family is sponsoring in Alegria, Bolivia. So more to come on that, but, but get your hearts ready, because I'm going to ask you to take this step before you leave today, all right? But for now, let's dig into the Scriptures. I want to invite you to get your Bibles out, or if you have a device for the YouVersion app, get it. You can turn your Bibles on. And I want you to go to two passages with me. First... I want you to go to Mark 12, and then I also want you to find your way to 1 John chapter 4. We'll start in Mark 12. uh, Just mark your place in 1 John 4. We'll get there in a little while, but, but these are the passages. Mark 12, 1 John chapter 4. Today, we are talking about the two greatest commandments in the entire Bible. Listen, if we get these two commandments right, the good news is this. As a result, we will get every other commandment In this book right as well And here's my hope and prayer for our church Just so you know My hope and prayer is that we would be a people known For getting these two commandments right And here's why Because it's a church family we can be known for a lot of things We can be known as theological giants Who know a ton about the Bible We can be known for people of great faith uh, People that believe God can do anything We can be known as, as people Willing to lay our lives down For what it is we say we believe in But look at me If we're not known first and foremost for the two commandments we're going to talk about today, none of the rest of it matters. So what are these commandments? Well, let's go to Mark 12 and we find them. And by the way, we're we're kind of giving it away with our opening slide here, but we're going to read anyway. All right, check this out. Here's the scene. Jesus, he's hanging out with a bunch of religious people and he's having a debate. And in the middle of this debate, here's what happens next. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another And seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And look, just so you know, I'm not making this up, right? When I tell you they're the greatest, look what Jesus says next. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, the question we got to ask ourselves is is why? Why are are these two commandments, to love God and to love people, greater than any of the other commandments in the entire Bible? Why and what does it mean for us to truly love God and people in the way that Jesus describes? Well, if you're taking notes, get ready to write some stuff down because we're going to answer those questions. And we're going to start by talking about what it means to love God. First, here's what Jesus says. He says, you and I, we should love God with all our hearts. Loving God with all your heart means that you love him with perfect sincerity. That your love for him isn't fake, it's not hypocritical, is it phony? Uh, Loving him with all your heart means that, that you don't put on and take off your love for him depending on who's around or what environment you find yourself in. Loving God with all your heart means that you love him in an honest, truthful way. Imagine it like this. Imagine a husband who's got this amazing wife. She's faithful. She serves her husband well, loves him well. And imagine that every time this this wife is around her husband, this husband's praising her, right? My wife's the best. All the rest of your wives are, are lame compared to my wife, right? I've got the, the greatest wife on the face of the planet. But, but imagine the moment the wife walks away that this same guy starts pretending like he doesn't even have a wife, right? Wedding ring comes off. He's flirting with other women. Anytime he's got a chance to cheat, he, he dives in. He takes full advantage of, of the opportunity. What would we say about a guy like that if we knew him? Wouldn't we say, man, that, that guy's a scumbag. He doesn't love his wife, right? He is insincere. He's not genuine. He talks a big game, but when it comes to to putting into action what it is he, he says to be true, man, he falls very, very short. Look, the point Jesus is making with this statement is this. You and I, we can't be that unfaithful, insincere husband in our love for God. We can't be those people who just talk a big game. Oh, I love God. I love God. He's awesome. And then live in a way that contradicts what it is we say. You see, loving God with all our hearts means that our mouths and our lives match up. If you say you love God, people should be able to look at the way you live and know that it's true. The next thing Jesus tells us is this, that we should love God with all our souls. But loving God with all your soul means that, that you love him in an emotional way. Now, I know this is probably a weird, awkward thought for some of us, especially us dudes in the room who, like, never show emotion unless we're yelling at the TV on college game day. But, but but listen, according to Jesus, when you love God, it's an emotional relationship. When you love him, you feel something for him. I, I mean, think about it like this. If you've ever been in love, you know what it's like to fall in love. Isn't it true that when you fall in love with somebody, like everything changes about who you are. And why? Well, it's because of the emotion you feel. Because of what you feel going on inside of you, you start doing the most ridiculous things that you swore you'd never do, right? You, you start talking baby talk to like your, your girlfriend. You're the manliest dude ever on the face of the planet. It's the lamest thing to talk baby talk. But you do it, don't you? It's ridiculous. You rearrange your whole calendar so that you can spend more time with that person that you love. You shrug off all your boyfriends and girlfriends and it's all about this other person. Every social media update's nothing more than a Hallmark card. And listen, why? Why do you do that? Well, because when you're in love with somebody, the feelings that you have toward that person, they ultimately cause you to become someone you've never been before. You see, this is Jesus' point. When you love God with all your soul, it's an emotional relationship that results in feelings you've never felt before, and those feelings should ultimately cause you to become a person you've never been before, a person that God has created and saved and called to live out a great purpose here on the Earth. Love God with all your soul. The next thing Jesus says is this is that we should love God with all our minds. Loving God with all your mind means that you love Him with your intellect, with your logic, with your reasoning, with your thought processes, uh, with your decision-making abilities. I've said it this way before, and I'll keep saying it. Loving God with all your mind requires you to keep your brain on. You get that, right? Like your relationship with God isn't meant to be a thoughtless relationship. If you and I truly want to love God, we have to give great thought to our relationship with him each and every day. I'll give you a great picture of what I'm talking about using my relationship with my wife, Amber. Um, Amber and I, we've been married for almost 10 years And still to this day, we have regular date nights. We we go out and we spend time together, dinner, movie, putt-putt, whatever it is, and and we just hang out and we talk, all for the purpose of growing in our knowledge of one another. Now, I know some of us think, well, James, 10 years, bro, don't don't you know enough? Well, no, and, and I'd say to you husbands and wives, here's some free marriage advice. You ready? Don't ever stop dating your spouse. Don't ever stop doing that. People change, we grow, things become different, life happens, and we can't ever stop spending face-to-face time learning more about who the other person is. So, so my wife and I, we do that. Um, whenever something funny or stupid happens, my wife and I, we love sarcasm, we love dumb humor. I'm the guy on the phone calling my wife or texting her, you're never gonna believe what I just saw, right? And, and I'm telling her, um, whenever I've had a good day or a bad day, the first person I, I think to tell about my day is, is who? Amber, whenever I have big decisions to make in life, the first person I want to sit down and discuss that decision with is Amber. I want to tell her about it. I want to ask her what she thinks and why. Well, it's really simple because I love my wife. And because I love my wife, she's always on my mind. Jesus is just telling us that when we love God, it's the same. Loving God means that God's always on our minds. That when we experience success and, and joy in life, we're thinking about Him, we're talking to Him. That when we experience hardships in life, when we're carrying burdens, we're thinking about Him and and we're talking to Him. That when we have decisions to make in life, we're considering Him and we're asking Him what He thinks. Again, our relationship with Him is about us seeking Him and spending regular time with Him to know Him more. Church, look at me. Leave your brains on when it comes to your relationship with God. Love Him with your minds and give great thought and intentionality your relationship with him. And and the last thing that Jesus tells us is this, is that we should love God with all our strength. Loving God with all your strength means that you love him with intensity, with energy, and with passion. The idea here is that, that you'd be a person willing to do anything in order to express the depths of your love for God. But again, I'll give you an example from my life to kind of paint a picture of this I've used this story before but I couldn't think of a better one So i'm just going to share it again when I proposed to my wife uh, That night I got down on my hands and and my knees and I washed her feet as a part of my proposal So here she is. She's all uncomfortable weird I'm trying to take her shoes off and she's not wanting me to and I got them off So I had this basin of water and, and this towel And I start washing my future wife's feet, and I say to her as I'm doing this, I want to spend the rest of my life loving you and leading you by serving you. And I pulled the ring out, and I asked her, and she said, yes, young guys, take notes. Write that one down. It worked for me. Maybe it'll work for you. But but, but listen, I know some of us were going, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, I hope I got a guy that that washes my feet someday, right? We're thinking, that's awesome. Here's what you got to know about me, though. Man, I hate feet, I'm not a foot guy like you touch me with your foot. I will break your leg. I don't I don't do feet But in that moment man, I wanted my future wife to know how much I loved her And and because that was true I was willing to do anything to express love for her even if it meant touching her feet See, this is the idea of, of loving God with all your strength It's you saying to God God I'll do anything God I'll go anywhere. I'll love anybody I'll serve however you want me to serve. I, I'll give even when it hurts, God. If I've got a sacrifice to say yes to you, then that's what I'll do, God. And, and why? Because, God, the depths of my love, I, I can't keep it wrapped up inside. I've got to express it. Love God with passion, energy, intensity. That's what it means to love God with all your strength. Now, the big question we've got to ask at this point is this question. Why? Why should we love God like this? Completely, Totally. Because let's be honest, aren't there a lot of things in our world and in our lives that compete every single day for our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strength? So why in the world should we choose to, to give those things to God and to love him above all else in life? Well, this is where we're gonna go, First John 4. So if you have your place saved, uh, go there. The answer's simple. We find it in First John chapter 4, verses nine and 10. Look at what he says. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Now check the next part out, don't miss it. In this is love. Not that you and I have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So why should we love God above all else in life? Well, well here's the answer. Here's what John tells us. We should choose to love God with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength out of an understanding of that the God of the universe chose to love us first. That's why. Church, that's the only motivation that you and I should ever need for choosing to love God. We love him because he first loved us. I love how Romans 5.8 says it, that God proved his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God didn't love you when, when you were perfect. God didn't love you when you were at your best. God didn't love you when you were trying your hardest. He loved you when you were weak, powerless, dead in your sins and trespasses, at your very worst. That's when he chose to love you. So much so that he sent his son Jesus into the world to be, as John says, the propitiation for our sins, which, which simply means that Jesus came to take the punishment that our sins required so that we could be loved and accepted by God. Church, look at me. When you get that When that truth moves beyond just head knowledge and it penetrates your heart, everything changes. His love for you is is the only thing you need to love him in return. You see, because that's true, I I wanna make a sweeping assumption, if I can, about all of us in the room who struggle to love God in the way that Jesus describes. Why, Why do we have such a hard time loving God above all else in life? Can I tell you what I think your issue is? This isn't your only issue, but I think it's probably your main issue. Here it is. I don't think you really believe that God loves you. That's what I think your problem is. I don't think you believe he loves you. And I get it, right? You grew up in church, perfect Sunday school attendance. You can say all the books of the Bible, forwards and backwards, Uh, right, right? You give, you serve, you do all the right things. But if you struggle each day to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, I would still say to you, I think your biggest issue is that you don't believe that God actually loves you. This is why some of you, you walk in the doors across point week after week Thinking that it's your job to make yourself lovable It's why you serve, it's why you give It's why you try to live a moral life Because in the back of your mind You truly believe that it is your job To give God reason to love you God, I prayed today, right aren't you proud God, I read my Bible today I was in church this weekend God, look how awesome I'm doing God, I'm, I'm giving you reason to love me Listen, can I just free you up And tell you something about yourself You are not lovable and neither am I But look at me, that's okay because Jesus has made us lovable. When you and I could do nothing to earn and win the love and acceptance of God, Jesus won and earned the love and acceptance of God for us. There's nothing left for you to earn. There's nothing left for you to prove. And and what you need to do is stop trying so hard to earn and work for what is already yours because of Jesus. you got to start trusting that God loves you in spite of you, and he's proved that through his son. And when you'll grasp that truth, and really believe it in the depths of your heart, guess what your response is? You love him. You love him in return. Now, I want to go back to Mark 12, because not only does Jesus tell us that we should love God with all our heart, souls, mind, and strength, but he also says, secondly, that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, before we dive into that commandment, I want to ask a question that I believe is really important. All right, here's a question. Don't miss it. Do you love yourself Do you love yourself? You see, I think one of the reasons some of us do such a poor job at loving our neighbors is because we're loving them like we love ourselves, and we don't really love ourselves. You know what I'm talking about? Like some of us, we might say we do not. I love myself. I feel great about myself. But internally, you still struggle. You struggle with who you used to be, past mistakes you've made. You struggle to believe that your life really matters, that it's of value. You struggle with identity and self-worth. And because you struggle to love yourself, you're not loving your neighbor very well. Now look, don't worry, I'm not going to preach some self-help message on on how to better love yourself. I'm just going to tell you again, this is the reason. This is the reason that you have to understand and grasp the depths of God's love for you. If you don't understand how much God loves you, you'll never fully love yourself. If you don't get that he loves you in spite of you, in spite of all your mistakes, all your failures, all your shortcomings, in spite of all the things you've done to offend him, you will hold on to all those things tightly and hold them against yourself and you will never get to the place where you can truly love you. And if you're not loving you, you can't love your neighbor well. See, loving your neighbor starts with you choosing to love you in view of God's love for you. And when you get that figured out, well, well, then you can start thinking about your neighbor. Now, who's your neighbor? I mean, we got to ask that question, don't we? If Jesus is telling us to to love our neighbors as ourselves, we need to know who our neighbors are. Who's Jesus really calling us to love? Well, the the answer's simple. Your neighbor is everybody. You know that, right? Your, Your neighbors are the people sitting in this room right now, the people who know Jesus, and the people in this room who don't know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, man, we're glad you're here. Your neighbors are the people outside of this room who know Jesus and who don't know Jesus. You see, this command... To love our neighbors as ourselves isn't limited in scope. It includes anyone and everyone that we might cross paths with. That's who Jesus is, is calling us to love. Now listen, I want you to come back next Sunday if you're in town, because next week, we're gonna talk about how to love our neighbors who don't know Jesus well. But today, we're gonna start by talking about how to love our neighbors who do know Jesus well. And here's why we're starting here. You see, if you and I as followers of Jesus don't love each other well, it's impossible for us to love people outside the walls of this place who don't know Jesus well. It it becomes impossible for us to convince people far from God that what they need most in life is a relationship with the Jesus we say we know. And I'm gonna prove what I'm telling you scripturally. So, So go back to 1 John 4 with me. Let's keep reading. Verses 11 and 12. John continues, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So why should we choose to, to love one another well as followers of Jesus? Well, John just gave us the reason. It's the same reason why we choose to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here it is if you're taking notes. We should love each other because God first loved us. Isn't that what John just said? I love the book of 1 John. It's so easy to understand, black and white. He literally just said Hey, uh, God loves us, we should love each other. That's, that's what we should do, John says. Now, I want you to think with me about what it says when you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ refuse to do this. Think about what we're saying to God. Aren't we saying to him, God, thanks for loving me like you do. God, I know that you love me in spite of all my mistakes, uh, all that I've done that's offended you, all my shortcomings, all my failures, but God, your love for me stops with me. Those people that have offended me, I ain't gonna love them. People that have fallen short in my life and hurt me, not loving them. Those people that have made mistakes, that have offended me, I'm not loving them. God, I'm not loving them. Your love for me stops with me. Look, if that's your mindset and you struggle to love other people well, again, can I just tell you what I think your issue is? It's the same issue I've already talked about. I just don't know that you really grasp the depths of God's love for you. Because look, when you grasp the depths of God's love for you, It becomes easier, not harder, to love other people in the same way that he's loved you. Now, let me tell you why it's so important for us as a church to get this right. We found the reason in verse 12. Here, again, is what John said. He said, no one has seen God. No one's seen him. And here's the amazing thought. He goes on to say, but when we love each other, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And that's not us meaning us as individuals, that's us corporately. That when we love each other well, the watching world gets a picture of who God is and what his love is like. Now, when I think about a people that that got that kind of love right, my mind always goes back to the early church, the Acts 2 church. If you've never read Acts 2, man, get your Bible out and read it this week. And if you don't have a Bible, go to our connection desk after service. We'll give you a free one, all right? But, But read it. And here's this church, all right? We find a church there who's come from different backgrounds, different walks of life. They've recently met Jesus, and their lives have been changed. Every day, they're hanging out with each other. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, the breaking of bread, um, to fellowship. And then the Bible says something crazy. It says that these people loved each other so much that they actually started selling off possessions to meet one another's needs. Isn't that insane? I mean, can you imagine me standing up here on the stage and going, all right, my friend Gordon, he's in our church, he's got a need. It's going to cost him about 10000 bucks. Who's going to meet Gordon's need? And, and somebody else pops up and goes, hey, i got a car I can sell. I'll sell my car so that, so that we can take care of, of this need. It sounds insane to us, but that's what was going on in the early church. And I love what Acts 2.48 says. It says that the Lord added daily to the number of those being saved. You see, it's hard to argue that Jesus has changed the lives of people who come from different walks, different backgrounds, and they start loving each other in a way that makes absolutely no sense to the world. It's hard to argue that, that we know the Jesus we say we know when, when we're loving each other in spite of what makes us different and what could potentially divide us. So church, here's my question for us. Is it important enough to all of us as Cross Point City Church to love each other in the way that Jesus has described, that that the Bible describes, so so that the watching world sees who God is and what his love is like in our love for one another. Is it that important for us that we'd be willing to put aside differences and things that could divide us all for the sake of making Jesus real to people who need him? I just want to tell you in response to that question, Jesus thinks it should be. Jesus himself thinks it should be. The night before Jesus went to the cross, he was praying for us. I don't know if you realize that, but he was praying for you and for me. And his prayer lets us know that that what I'm telling you about how we love each other is is true. Read this with me. John 17, verses 20 and 21. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only. So he's not just praying for his disciples who were there with him, but he's also praying for those who will believe in me through their word. Again, that's future disciples. That's you and me. And here was Jesus' prayer. Father, I pray that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. And here's why. Look, so that the world may believe that you sent me. There's the key. Church, isn't it insane to know that our love for one another is this powerful? That the gospel message, the good news of of Jesus, who he is, and, and what he's done for sinful people, it actually becomes more real and believable to the outside world when you and I love each other well. Isn't it insane that our love for each other is that powerful? You see, we have to understand, we love each other just to love each other. The church is more than a, well, can't we just all try to get along club? It's bigger than that. We should strive each day to love one another well because the believability of the gospel depends upon it. You see, that world out there, they don't care how much we know. They don't care how moral we are. They don't care how many times we're in church. They don't care if we can follow all the right rules. All they want to know is that we believe what we say we believe. And do you know what the true test of our belief is? It's this. Are we characterized by love? Are we characterized by love? By love, Look back at 1 John 4 with me one more time. I want you to see in verses 7 and 8 what John says about this. Look. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You see how easy 1 John is? It's really easy. Here's all he said. Uh, if you know God, you're going to love each other. And when you love each other, you prove that you actually know him. And if you refuse to love each other, there's a chance you might not know Him because God is is love. How easy is that? See, church, look, loving each other cannot be an optional thing. We have to get this right. There's too much at stake for us to get this wrong and to love each other, like people outside the walls of of our churches love each other. We have to get it right. Here's practically what it means for us, and, and we'll get ready to close after this. Practically, it means that you and I need to take intentional steps in loving one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you want to know why we call you to do things here at Crosspoint like serve, uh, like get in a group? It's not because we just want to like mark it down in our Google Doc that, oh, awesome, added a group. Sweet, more people are serving. Look at me, I, I could care less about that. You, you want to know why we want you to do those things? So that you can become more like Jesus and love other people like he's loved you. That's why. And so, again, I'm going to keep staying on. If you're not in a group, if you're not serving, we want you to use your gifts. We want you to to get in a group so that you can practice the love one another commandment from the Scriptures. Now, secondly, it also means some things for us in the way of forgiveness, prayer, and reconciliation. Loving each other well means that that when we offend each other, and that's going to happen at times, isn't it? Because we're all broken, jacked up, imperfect people. So we're going to hurt each other's feelings. We're going to say things that, that offend each other at times. When that happens instead of sitting around and gossiping and complaining about that other person, you need to go have a conversation. And I know it's tough, but look at me. It's got to matter to you that our love for each other makes the gospel more real and believable to the Lord, so much so that you're willing to engage a hard conversation with a person who's hurt you if that's what you need to do. It also means for us that, that we've got to stop trying to avoid each other in those moments when we're annoyed or, or upset. All of us have people in our lives we get annoyed with at times, don't we? Right? You guys holier than I am? I have a person in my life like that, but we all do. You wanna love that person more? Here's what you do. Start praying for them. Start praying for them. You want your love for somebody to change? Pray for them each day by name. And I promise as you pray for them, God will do something inside of you and your love for that person will be increased. It also means that for some of us um, whose default is to get mad and like run to social media, you know what I'm talking about? Blast our brothers and sisters in Christ on our Facebook walls, It may mean that for a season you need to become culturally irrelevant and and turn off Facebook and Twitter until you can mature in your faith and and become so much like Jesus that it's not your default anymore. Listen, there's too much at stake for us to get this wrong. We've got to ultimately get our eyes off of ourselves. We've got to take our eyes off of all that makes us different and all that could divide us, and we have to fix our attention on what unifies us and what makes us the same. Our one Father, our one Savior, and our one Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And this is exactly how we're going to close this morning. We're just going to get our eyes off of ourselves. You guys understand that's why we come and we gather like this, right? We don't come on Sundays to get you to think more about you. We get you come on Sundays so that you can think more about him. And, and we truly believe that the more you look to him and think on him and fix your attention on him the more God can do in your life to change you and make you more like him. So we're going to take our eyes off of ourselves in the next few moments and fix them on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And as we celebrate him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray and ask God to increase your love for him and your love for your neighbors, starting with your brothers and sisters in Christ.